This podcast is brought to you by the film Ezra from Bleecker Street, directed by Tony Goldwyn with an incredible ensemble that includes Robert De Niro, Bobby Cannavale, and Whoopi Goldberg. Ezra is a funny and endearing story about Max, a divorced father struggling to co-parent his autistic son, Ezra. When faced with difficult decisions about the future, they embark on a cross-country road trip that has a transcendent impact on both their lives. Deadline calls Ezra a touching testament to the power of love. In theaters May 31st. Pampers Cruisers 360 is the must-have diaper to help keep your baby from taking it right off, which, if you've experienced this, can lead to complete chaos. With its 360-degree stretchy waistband that moves with your baby for a comfortable fit, your active baby can move freely. Think of it as baby yoga pants. Cruisers 360 offers a gap-free fit and has a blowout barrier at the back of the diaper to help stop any unwanted disasters. The best part? That stretchy waistband makes it so easy to change your wiggly baby, who is always on the move and can't be stopped. Just rip the sides to remove and roll it up with the disposal tape on the back. Voila! Pampers Cruisers are available in sizes 3 to 7 and now feature fun new prints. Pair with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, made from 100% plant-based cloth that grips the mess without fear of tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Hi, this is Laura Vanderkam. I'm a mother of four, an author, journalist, and speaker. And this is Sarah Hart Unger. I'm a mother of two, and soon to be three, and a practicing physician. We are two working parents who love our careers and our families. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. Here we talk about how real women manage work, family, and time for fun. From figuring out childcare to mapping out long-term career goals, we want you to get the most out of life. Welcome to Best of Both Worlds. This is Laura. Uh, I'm not sure when you may be listening to this podcast, but it will be airing for the first time on Halloween, on Halloween, October 31st. And so Halloween is one of those holidays that you don't necessarily have to deal with all that much until you are a parent, unless you want to dress up as like a sexy bumblebee to whatever fun parties you're going to <laughs> as a young single person. As uh, one does. <laughs> I, I will not be a sexy bumblebee this year. Are you going to be one, Sarah? No. <laughs> I've never been a sexy bumblebee. <laughs> I just remember seeing that as like the stupidest costume ever. It's like everything has to be, you know, sexy whatever. It's like a bumblebee. Seriously. <laughs> I think I'm lame, but I have like never had a particularly like sexy costume. I, my favorite costume that I ever was, was I did dress up as Sarah Palin. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and I was pretty convincing. I had like an ID and like I had her glasses and like I was really, really proud of it. I would think I was more like Tina Fey as Sarah Tina Palin, Fey as. But, yeah, but it was awesome. <laughs> well, so what are you guys doing this year? Do you have your, I mean, we're, we're recording this prior to the 31st. Do you guys have your yes. costumes yet or? We have them. We do. Well, Cameron's has not come yet. So I tried 
to be like, let's all do something the same, you know, like in the same theme or something, but that the kids didn't want it. So I didn't push it because I really didn't care very much. And so Cameron is going to be, this show is called, um, well, it's a little lizard, basically a little lizard costume. Oh, PJ Maxx. There you go. And so he's going to wear the lizard costume and I'm going to just wear this black shirt that has a little baby skeleton on the bottom so that I'm festive. I actually really don't like most Halloween costumes. Annabelle is going to be a giraffe with a tutu and Josh keeps changing his mind. So yeah, we're set. What about you guys? A giraffe with a tutu. <laughs> That's, That's just like such a little girl costume. <laughs> See, everything with a tutu, right? Yeah, I think the tutu might have been the selling point. But yeah, that was what she picked. And I am all for like, look, if you enjoy doing DIY, then please do DIY. But that is, I do not. So I'm like, order from a catalog it makes me so happy it's done it comes in the mail it's just very pleasurable and no stress and i love it yeah. <laughs> i told the kids they have to choose by the end of the week so i can order ahead of time for halloween and have those come cuz some of the catalogs yeah it takes a little bit longer than like amazon prime with the two days amazon can get kind of picked over and not have the best stuff although we did get this absolutely awesome inflatable dinosaur costume off Amazon last year that, I mean, the head was huge. It was like a sort of like an air mattress in that it was like constantly blowing. So it stayed big. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. My, my eight-year-old, well, he was seven then, but he, um, it, it was the best costume, I think, at his parade at school. I, I was definitely. Uh, Are you guys able to like hand down and save costumes or do they always want their yeah, own? Yeah, although that one may have broken just because it was so <laughs> elaborate. We'll see. But yeah, we can hand them down. So certainly if you wish to be some sort of princess, we have a wide variety <laughs> of those. But unfortunately, I only have one girl and I'm, the others have not expressed a huge interest in being princesses. So that's not going to happen. We have a couple of Star Wars related things. But, you know, part of the fun is getting a new one, right? Like, yeah. And be doing what, like, you know, the kid has picked themselves. Like, you know, that, that me that I'm sure is really fun to get to actually pick it out, whether you're going to make it by hand, if you're that kind of family, or if you're going to pick it off of a picture from a catalog or yeah. online. I, I have no ability to make a Halloween costume from, <laughs> I read these magazines where people are like, look at this cute costume. I, I would never like look at a pillowcase and think I could make that out of that. I mean, it's just not. Not happening. If my kids want to do it themselves when they get older, like if that's fun for them, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not doing it. I'm not very crafty. But you're <laughs> so we have our show notes here, and I'm just laughing about Sarah's note. <laughs> she says, I'm planning on handing out organic candy this year. Maybe you want to unpack that for us a little bit. <laughs> well, I so again, this might be a hazard of my job, but I feel kind of hypocritical. I tend to be a little more stringent than you are on things like I definitely let my kids enjoy birthday cake if we're at a party, but I try to avoid like GMOs and food coloring and all that kind of stuff. So I decided that it would be hypocritical to hand out what I don't typically buy to stock our home. Like, cause that feels wrong. Like, Oh, I buy the good stuff for us, but I hand out the cheap crap. So I am going to order some, and I need to do this soon. There are some candy that is still like sweet and delicious, but made with like better ingredients. So that is my plan for this year. We'll see how it goes. The only problem is we are in Halloween central. And when I say that, I'm not kidding. Like people, it feels like people get bust into my neighborhood. Like there are hundreds and hundreds of kids that come through. I mean, people have joked about like selling parking spaces in our neighborhood. Like, it's that crazy. It, it's, it's actually overwhelming. So 
it could get very expensive <laughs> if you're doing the organic candy. Yeah, I mean because it's really it, this is this is not about like filling up two pumpkins and handing them out. Like I need to buy like probably 20 pounds of candy. Oh my goodness. Um, and we'll still probably run out. <laughs> so we don't get any trick or treaters. I mean, we don't. It's it's I'm jealous. <laughs> um, partly it's that my road doesn't have sidewalks, and so we in fact bring we go to our neighbors and then we go around the corner to a little subdivision that has it's easier to walk through without you know risking getting hit by a car, and and so that's where we go. And I assume that they get a fair amount of trick or treaters precisely from that reason. There's also another street in our neighborhood that's like that that also gets hundreds of trick-or-treaters. I think it's just where your house is has a lot to do with it. So it doesn't really matter what we get. I mean, I'm going to buy a bag of candy at Costco. This is this happens every year. We buy a big bag of candy at Costco, whatever they have, some mix they have. We put it out. Nobody comes. So then we wind up with you know pounds of candy. That <laughs> you, So you better pick something you like. I know. I'm going to pick something I like because I'll be eating it and my kids will be eating it. So it better be something we actually enjoy. So I, I guess that's what we're, we're, what we're going to do. And I'm also all about the um, selling it back to the dentist thing, which I think is awesome that a lot of dentists' offices are doing that now. Because to me, it's just like, oh, you know, let I let them have some that, like, I think I last year I said you can keep. I'm a jerk, so whatever, don't judge. I let them keep three pieces each, um, and, then, and then I was like, and we're going to sell the rest back and get a toy, just because I don't want them eating that every night. I yeah. just, I can't, well, I can't. Stand it's funny. It. What we do is, you know, they can have some that night, and then we wind up putting the bags up, and then they can take out a few pieces each night for desserts or something. But they kind of start forgetting that it's there, and especially after the first few days, their favorite pieces are gone anyway. So within a week, like nobody's asking for the bag anymore and we wind up dumping a lot of it anyway. So, I mean, I won't judge you on your three. We we have more than three pieces of candy, I, w- I will say, but, uh, it might've been five. I don't know, but it was like, not a lot, like, but, but they, don't, they don't wind up eating all of it. Uh, and so, I mean, it is what it is, but uh, it is what it is. And ours don't put up too much of a fight either. I feel like if they, they know they're getting something out of it and they might forget about it, but I'm sort of not willing to risk it. So I'm just, <laughs> or I might end up eating it and then, you know, have yeah. a 10 pound baby. Yeah. And- well, I, I like my candy too. <laughs> but, uh, speaking of other fun things in life. So our episode this week is on having fun as a working parent, uh, whether life can actually be fun. Uh, and this is based on, we had a question from a listener come in. This is anonymous, um, so I'm trying not to read many identifying details. But anyway, this woman is an engineer and a mother of a 15-month-old baby who we will call C for the purposes of this post or this this episode. And she says she's been feeling constantly and extremely exhausted for the past you know, time since C has been born. She says the objective things don't seem to be the issue. Like she eats healthy, she exercises, she sleeps more than seven hours a night, even though it's often tempting to sleep less, to work more. Uh, C is a very active, but other than that, happy and easygoing baby. Her husband is great. Like he actively participates in childcare and home chores, and he took a solo paternity leave when she went back to work. So we're not talking, you know, a husband who's not pulling his weight around the house. They have a cleaning service. She's, you know, works in high tech industry. So of course it's one of those offices where they serve you breakfast and lunch and all that great stuff. She only has a five minute commute. So like also pretty good stuff. Daycare is convenient. 
She says, so obviously all this objective stuff, I feel rather lucky, but yet I feel so tired running behind at home and at work. No serious performance issues yet, but it's really not like what I did before and certainly much less enjoyable. And she's saying, I am not sure why this is so hard. What is going on here? And so her schedule that she shared with us is she wakes up at six every day to play with the baby, drops him off at daycare around seven ten in the morning. She and her husband exercise at the gym at work. Uh, sorry, I meant to mention they, they actually work like right by each other, possibly even the same place. I'm not clear from this. They shower there, eat breakfast, work, eat at lunch. They leave by 4.10 to pick up their kid. Uh, after playing, eating, and all that good stuff during bedtime, uh, which is somewhere around 7.30, then their second shift starts because they didn't work the full eight hours during the day. They try to stop working by 9 or 9.30 so they can have some time to themselves. Though usually they work until 10. It's time to clean up, pack for daycare, go to bed. She says their weekends are filled with playing, eating, getting some chores done, going to church. Um, they're kind of tiring because they have a 15-month-old baby. Uh, so, But her question is, you know, is there something I'm missing, some tip that can make this time easier? Why does she feel so overwhelmed? When does it get better? And she says, I want a second child, but I can't imagine having one when I feel like I'm drowning with one easy baby. So what are your thoughts on oh, that? Oh, man. This reader, my heart went out to her. <laughs> I just, I kind of, I, 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 I think a lot of what this is coming from is sort of the mourning period that people don't really talk about. Morning, but that meaning M-O-U-R-N. Yes. That many people go through when you go from being an independent person with nobody who needs you all the time to someone who needs you all the time. Even if they're in childcare, you, you have that, you know, constant pull of like, I am no longer just in charge of myself. And that is such an incredibly hard adjustment, both from a mental standpoint and from a logistical standpoint, because even though her life actually objectively does sound like very nice and like well-ordered, I'm sure it's very, very different than it was before. Yeah, no, I think that's um, a big chunk. I mean, people always ask us, we're like, oh, well, is going from two to three kids hard or three to four kids hard? Not compared to going from zero to one. I mean, that's the real lifestyle adjustment. And all of a sudden, your life is a lot less fun. I mean, you can't just up and go to dinner if you want to without making arrangements. You can't just decide to go to the beach for the weekend without making arrangements with the kid, you know, how you pack up a million stuff and all your bottles and toys and diapers. And, you know, you won't get to sleep in on weekends necessarily. And you can't have downtime on weekends without, you know, deciding which one of you is with the baby and which one is, is not. And, and so I think that's really hard and, and we don't necessarily talk about how hard it is because we, assume that, you know, parenthood is wonderful and like having a baby is a great thing and everyone's... And there's, there's this narrative, you know, you're, you're always sharing those joyful moments and there are joyful moments. And I'm sure that this um, person really, really loves her 15-month-old as I did too. But at the same time, what you're getting back from a 15-month-old, you know, it's beautiful, but it's it's not much. I mean, you know, that's, I think it's like this baby can't even talk to you yet. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. And they're still screaming when they want stuff. They may not be, I mean, even if they are sleeping well, like it's, you know, the hassle of getting them to bed and, you know, dealing with that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, toddlers are tough. I, I honestly think that that age is like 
all of the hard work and, you know, much less of the rewards than you get from even like a three and a half or five-year-old. I, I should, I would love to like go back in my own blog because I don't think I suffered like this, but I, I think there was a little bit of an undercurrent of like, okay, like I really worked hard for this and I'm really excited for this and I love my baby, but am I a great like toddler mom? And is this like truly fun? And, you know, I feel more comfortable answering that question now because I feel like, you know, that wasn't necessarily my, well, it wasn't my favorite time. Like I am much happier parenting older kids who I can converse with and teach and read to. And the funny thing is now that I'm having another one, I'm not so dreading of that because it's like, well, I'm kind of already parenting and that one will just join into the mix versus back then you were sort of expected to put all of your focus into a 15 month old, which is mentally and physically really, really draining. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely draining. And the other thing I would say is I, this, this woman's life doesn't necessarily sound like it has that much fun in it. I mean, you know, even if it is one of those fun high tech places where they have foosball tables or ball pits or whatever it is that they do, you know, it's, she works, she does chores, she takes care of her baby and she sleeps and that's about it. And that's not really actually all that fun. <laughs> and you uh, are, yes, that is very, she's very practical and you can tell cause by like fitting in the workout, like she's very regimented and I'm not saying that it's spontaneity that she necessarily needs. Cause like for me, spontaneity is not necessarily fun, but it's more like that personal, like just what's the word? Like, I don't know, like luxurious stuff. That's just for her that she, some treats, she needs some treats in her life. Yeah. And so I think that's the first thing we would suggest in this situation for any, you know, new parents who are listening to this and are struggling with this new identity and new schedule and new life with, especially as the the kids are in that toddler stage is how can you have your stuff still happen and your fun still happen? We have all these narratives about like, oh, well, mothers need to sacrifice themselves for their family. And it's not actually really all that true. Like you don't have to get rid of everything you want to do. And there's all kinds of things people say, well, moms can't do X. I mean, there's very few things that X actually is true. So, you know, if you wanted to go skydiving, go skydiving. I mean, if you want to, but it it doesn't have to be even stuff like that. If you want to join a book club with your friends, do that. If you want to go out to lunch someday with friends instead of, you know, being efficient about getting it done at at work, like go for it. Um, You know, if you want to go out with your husband some night, uh, get a babysitter. It's okay. Even if your kid is in childcare all day, it's okay to have a babysitter afterwards. Like it will be all right. Yes. Because remember, you know, get rid of the, first of all, a 15 month old is not going to remember if you spend one night a week or two nights a week out with your friends. They're going to, they're going to absorb the love that you give them the rest of the time, especially in this person's schedule, like just objectively 168 hours, right? There is time for both here. Like this is a wonderful situation in that we have a willing husband. We have the ability to hire extra help if we need to getting in some dedicated time for things that are just pure joy or even couples time too, which can, they sound like they may be missing a little bit, I think is, is really doable, but there's, there's might be something stopping her. And I wonder if it's again, that sort of cultural narrative that like, I'm not allowed. Yeah. You are. That because I'm the kind of mom who's, you know, putting my kid in daycare from eight to four thirty every day, therefore that's all the time I get. And and I think part of it, you know, that she is doing their workouts during the day. I mean, some of that's just convenient that the place has a gym. So yes, that makes sense. But 
it doesn't have to be all about that efficiency. Like there, time is vast, as you said, and there is space for other stuff too. I mean, she's obviously very in a dutiful too. I mean, if you're thinking about the the fun stuff she's doing, she's exercising at work. She's going to church. I mean, there, you could do other stuff too. <laughs> so I was, is how I would, you know, think about weekends not just being chores. Weekends being time for adults to have fun stuff as well. And if it's feasible, now that the child is, I'm okay. So two things about breastfeeding, because I'm assuming that this mom is, she didn't mention breastfeeding. So I'm assuming that that's over for her. Number one, um, hopefully it may be if she's recently shifted from breastfeeding that she's having some hormonal shifts could, because while you are breastfeeding a little endocrinology lesson, you're your prolactin is very high and that suppresses the hormones in your brain that tell your ovaries to make estrogen. So you're sort of like, you know, you have less like sexual drive. You may sort of feel things less intensely. Like it, it, it is a kind of an altered state. So maybe she's going through some flux there. The other thing is that if she's no longer tethered to the baby, um, based on the, that, it seems like a great time to maybe think about a weekend away <laughs> with her husband and whether, you know, having no, a lot of times I'll hear people say, well, I have no family around. So there's two options. You could fly the kid or drive the kid to where the family is so that you can leave them there and then travel from there. Or you could hire a responsible and caring person to help care for your 15 month old who again may have some initial separation anxiety, but like is not going to remember it. Yeah. <laughs> well, 15 months is a rough time for a separation. And, and yes, that. that's I mean, true. The, the clingy toddler thing is true. But it also, I mean, maybe you can talk about this too, that the adjustment to parenthood, the altered mental state. I mean, a lot of people do go through this. And, yes. Yeah. In po- in terms of like postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. Now, 15 months is a little late. Usually there's two peaks, like right after the baby. And then I think within like six to 12 months, but I, it certainly could occur later and it's incredibly common. And I think it's, it really is partially situational and partially very biological and hormonal based. And this person also might benefit, even though she seems very stable and very functional, there's no reason that adding in a therapist appointment or even, you know, formal check-ins with a friend that can sort of serve the same similar purpose, not the same purpose might be really beneficial to her. I am really pro therapy. I have only, I only went once in my life, but there are definitely not one session, but like one period. <laughs> Just one like, session that was it for me. But there have been other times that I look back and I'm like, duh, like when I was struggling with infertility, it was so clear in retrospect that that would have been very helpful for me and I didn't do it. And I'm sure it's because of that stigma. You know, you're superwoman, you're supposed to do everything. But as I've gotten older and maybe less caring what other people think, um, I, I did seek out, um, when I was going through a similar challenge and it was just a several sessions, but it made me feel a million times better. So I highly encourage others to get a professional voice involved if they think that that would help at all. And, and the other thing is that this, the toddler stage is short and it really does get better. I mean, yes, there are tough things with kids later on with teenagers and all that. But in terms of the sheer exhausting physical nature of caring for children, that definitely improves within a few years. So she's really- Yeah, like you've experiencing that now, right? Like think about your life now versus a year ago. What's different? Oh, no, it's definitely, I I mean, well, some things are depressing in the sense of I read through an old journal entry from almost exactly a year ago. I'm like, when will these sleep issues with my toddler? (laughs) Apparently not within the next year. So whoops on that one. But on the other hand, I can do things while he's in the house 
and I can not be watching him constantly. And I think that is huge. Like the, this weekend, I had some, you know, my husband took the older two kids to go see a football game out of town. And so I had the two little kids for big chunks of the weekend. And I was able to actually run on the treadmill in our basement while they were watching a TV show. That is amazing. And that it is, is a milestone. <laughs> it's a milestone. Or, or that he can just, you know, play in the basement by himself for a few minutes without it being a total disaster. Like, I trust that he's not going to eat something at this point because he's getting toward almost three years old. And, you know, little things like that really change the nature of caring for a kid. Like, you can catch your breath. You can read again. Because it's true. With a 15-month-old, it's you literally – you can't even go to the bathroom. I yeah. mean, like – you, there's not really a second unless you have somebody else helping you at that moment. Like there's, there's no downtime and that fall really downstairs. Like if they markedly fork on the table, they'll stick it in their eye. Like, I mean, there's mm-hmm. nothing. I mean, everything is turned into something dangerous with a child that age. It's really a, a, a rough time. But the months from 12 to 24 only last a year. <laughs> well, and that she was mentioning about having uh, possibly another child. And, and I think, I love the way you you put this in our notes that there is actually not going to be a whole lot of difference between having a 15 month old and then having another kid because it's still all all consuming. Yeah, no, absolutely. She might as well. I mean, go ahead and have twins. No, I'm just kidding. But like, yes, once you are, in fact, I did it this way the first time around where like I was pregnant by the time my first was 13 months. So I never actually had that like real freedom because she wasn't even two when he was born. But really two wasn't any harder than the one 15 month old because how can you do more than everything? You know, how can you be more engaged than 100%? You can't. You're only one of you. And then you realize that you actually sort of can handle both at once. You know, I actually, it's going to be much more of a shock this time around because I have had a break from those hard years. But in her particular case, I don't think she needs to fear adding another. I say if she wants, the only thing I would say is if she feels like mentally she just needs a break and she wants the kid to age out. But I don't know. In some ways that might be. Yeah. I mean, there's no need to rush that. You know, especially if people want to have a family with two kids. You don't have to pack them all into two years. Uh, you can definitely, uh, unless you started at you know age 38, 39 or something, you could probably wait a year or two if you wanted to and have that break. I mean, there's upsides. We've talked in previous episodes of having them close together. There's upsides in having them farther apart. So it's really a, a personal. But I do feel like with the setup that this person has, like adding another to the mix isn't really going to change no, it's not going to change anything that she's she's doing, really. So, and you said you'd you'd read a book. Um, I've certainly heard of this book in the past. What was it? The All All Joy, yes. no- All Joy and No Fun by Jennifer Senior. I think it came out maybe 2014 or so. It's a it it talks a lot about this, and it, it does focus a lot on the early years of parenting, and you know how you see all these joyful Instagram Instagram pictures, and but no one's uh, having any fun. And why is that? And how have things changed over the years? And I think that this. Re- Reader and anybody else going through something similar could definitely benefit from reading this book because her tone is is not that that's how it should be, but that maybe a lot of that self-imposed and the nature of parenting has changed a bit in the recent decades. And with every change, it's generally made things harder on the parents and not necessarily better for the kids. So I think kind of looking at that and looking at what our expectations are can be can be really broadening to maybe think about how things were done 30 years ago and, and people still turned out okay. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess, you know, not all moments will be great. And, and part of the issue of going from zero to one kids is these expectations that, I don't know, people grow up with Hallmark cards around the way that motherhood is going to be this fabulously wondrous, fulfilling, you know, 
angels and choirs singing. And kind social of media is not helping because yeah. people do not really post pictures of like the bad moments. They pick, they, they post the highlight reel. Yeah. And, and so not all moments are great, but on the other hand, not all moments should suck either. And so if they do, then, you know, that's something to definitely address because life can still have fun moments. I think there will be more fun moments when you don't have a 15-month-old baby around, but there certainly can be some. And so it's a question of figuring out what do I need to get through this with, you know, feeling like my identity, my life, my joy for living is intact. How can I make that happen? And then know that in a couple of years, things may look different. Yeah. So this podcast will be really interesting as we see my descent back into <laughs> your descent back into the crazy. I'll, I'll, I'll have to revisit this post in approximately uh, 17 months when I have a 15 month old. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, so again, since we're airing this on Halloween, I'm going to our love of the week. You have a, a specific candy that is your love of the week. Yeah, and I'm not going to give this out on Halloween because it would bankrupt me, but I'm really obsessed with the Madecasse brand, M-A-D-E-C-A-S-S-E of dark chocolate. It's from Madagascar. It is amazing. They have all kinds of different flavors, including like really dark ones and ones that have like sea salt and nibs in it. And I, I like it better than all of the other ones <laughs> right now. So I recommend checking it out if you like really intense dark chocolate. And I also wanted to give a shout out to those little squares of the endangered species ones with the animals on it. You can get them like at, you know, regular grocery store or Whole Foods, but they're actually really good. They're good ingredients and my kids like them too. <laughs> so when, when do you, are you one of those people who has the single square of dark, dark chocolate at night after dinner? <laughs> when, when is your, I have uh, something, well, especially now I have something every night. I mean, lately I've been more in the ice cream kick, but if I'm not eating ice cream, then yes, I'm usually eating like a piece of dark chocolate and I've trained, not trained, but my kids have picked up on the habit. So they will ask for milk and peace. Like that's their dessert before bedtime. It's like, piece of dark chocolate with milk. So they love it. <laughs> no, I remember every time I've been um, pregnant, I've been heavily into uh, chocolate ice cream, chocolate peanut butter ice cream. Oh, we have some of that in our freezer right now. <laughs> <laughs> the intense craving ever like driving out to Wawa if we didn't have it. Well, my love of the week is these similarly dark chocolate covered frozen bananas. So, mm. um, and you can find there's these that uh, like they're sold as like 100 calorie packs. I think Dole, I'm going to say it's Dole. I could be wrong, but they're sold as Dippers is the name of the brand. And they're in the freezer case at major supermarkets. Uh, but it's like four slices of frozen banana covered in dark chocolate in, in a package. And one of the things that I like about them is it's kind of this ritual because they actually have to thaw for five minutes for them to be mm. the best experience. So you take out your package of these frozen bananas and then you have to sort of wait for a few minutes to for it to warm up a little so it's not the anticipation your adds so to the it. anticipation <laughs> adds to the experience and I, sometimes that's what you need with a dessert with a special food is that it has this kind of built in ooh I'm about to get this and ooh I'm gonna make a whole event out of it um, which is, I actually appreciate for these uh, so do your kids like that too because mine would I, I'm gonna look for it because they would love so that. I haven't told them about it because um, <laughs> then they would eat mine out of the freezer so I, I put them <laughs> high up in the freezer. And no one, no one has figured it out yet. They they go for it's easier stuff to find, like popsicles or something like that. So um, that's my stash. Yeah. So our, our Q and A this week 
I'll, I'll read it because uh, I think this was addressed to, to Sarah in particular, which gets us back to the whole infant thing, which uh, I guess maybe we should have done the order of this differently. Oh, well. Anyway, so our, our listener writes in, hi, Sarah, you look great, which she does, by the way, if anyone's looking at her bump photos on her blog. She looks so cute. Uh, she says, I hope everything goes smoothly great for the rest of your pregnancy. I have a podcast topic request that might be relevant to you in a few months. I would love to know how you and Laura have dealt with the challenges, that's in quote marks, of infant sleep, especially when choosing to breastfeed. Do you split night wakings or do you have any other strategies for coping with lost sleep? Did you eventually sleep train or did you do anything different with subsequent children? So I guess, Sarah, for you, what what did you learn with rounds one and two about this that you're going to implement with number three? Yeah, I, I mean, I assume, you know, they were fairly similar. And so I don't plan on like making big changes. I feel like what we did worked. But okay, so number one, I didn't really split night wakings per se. I mean, I'm the one with the breasts and has them with the milk <laughs> and the one with the maternity leave. So generally, I would get up to feed like, you know, to every two to three hours. That's the kind of kids mine were. I tend to be very paranoid about milk supply, especially when I'm starting to get ready to get back to work because pumping is hard for me. So I sort of can't ever rationalize sleeping through a feed if it's been a couple hours and my baby's hungry because I know that biologically, hey, guess what? That's how your body knows to make more milk. So I, I didn't have Josh wake up if it were feeding time. However, we did keep our babies in our room for about four or five months each time. And if they were to wake up like 30 minutes after a feed screaming, um, which didn't happen very often, I'm jinxing myself, but then that would be something that I'd be like, please help because I know I'm going to have to get up in two hours anyway. So now it's your turn. So that's the way I would say we split, but I, I did the bulk of them because I was fairly, I'm really am jinxing myself, but I was lucky in that usually like they would wake up, they'd make a little whimper, they would eat pretty quickly, 10, 15 minutes, and then they would fall asleep at the end of the feed and then sleep for another two, three hours. So it wasn't like there was like much to do other than feed. And again, I'm kind of the one that can do that. And for me, pumping's very slow and laborious. So I know some people would rather get up and pump and sort of share those duties, but no way. Like I would take a baby on me any day rather than the pump. So that made sense for me. Sleep training, we did do it with my my older one because she was like seven months old at the time and like had was clearly growing very, very well. And it, it felt like it just felt right. Like it was felt like, oh, she's trained us like <laughs> to be waking up, not that she needed it. And so I think we did like two or three nights that were difficult and then she was okay. I kind of anticipated maybe having to do that with Cameron, my younger one, but he sort of did it on its own on his own around the same time. Like he just sort of started sleeping. So that made it easier. And again, everything in those days, and I'm sure it will be the same way with this one, is centered around like feeding them milk supply. It's like that ends up dictating so much of what happens that it's almost like the rest becomes a like fades into the background. So that's why I never like hired outside help or, or did anything else because it was like, how would that really be of help to me? What about you? Yeah. I mean, I... It was a long time ago with the first two. I'm having trouble even remembering. I was just young, stupid. I didn't know anything at the time. I mean, certainly the the first one, I, I mean, I, I breastfed all of them, but it was a lot harder with the first one because I didn't know the whole, you know, mechanics of, of milk supply. And so we started giving him a bottle pretty early um, to supplement. And so that was, you know, something that, that could be split if I needed to. But for, you know, something to consider, 
And I didn't have any idea how this worked when, you know, I had my first few kids, but then some of my friends had kids and had hired um, a baby nurse or a night nurse to, to help out. And so just to explain how this works for people, if they are considering that, um, especially if your partner travels a lot for work, which is definitely what I was dealing with. And, you know, then you can't split it with a partner because that person's not there. But what I did, especially for number four, since this is the most recent, I can remember this. We hired a night nurse to come a couple nights a week, usually coinciding with when my husband would be gone. She would come like 9, 30, 10. So I just fed the baby. If he was still awake, she could put him down, but I could go to sleep. And then she would feed him a pumped bottle at, you know, the one thirty feeding or whenever that was. And then I, she would wake me up at like four, the four or four thirty feeding. And I'd do that. And then what I would do is I would get up before the next feeding. Like, so I'd get up at six ish or something like that and pump. So I had, you know, some supply come in and, you know, overnight you know, make more milk as it is. So I'd pump. So I'd have that bottle then for one thirty in the morning pumped at six in the morning of the day. Uh, and so I'd have that milk ready to go then for the next night. Cause then I could still feed maybe an hour or two hours after that when he was ready for his next feeding. And so that's how I um, sort of shifted it slightly, but was able to often sleep from nine 30 to four 30, which is pretty awesome when you have an infant to be able to get that. Now that didn't obviously happen every night. We didn't have her every night because it is an expense. Of course, you know, I could try to get naps during the day because we did have um, the childcare during the day. Uh, as with Sarah, just because you're on maternity leave doesn't mean you need to not have your childcare. Um, yeah, I think that's that. A key and maybe thing. I would have done things differently with the night if I didn't have the help during the day. But we had our nanny the whole, with Cameron the whole time that I was on maternity leave. So I mean that. Yeah, that was incredibly. Of, again, <laughs> I would. There are there are places to economize in life, but I would I would not necessarily cut back on that during your maternity leave just because you want to be able to nap during the day. Also, like, I mean, it's, if you want the same caregiver, it's just not going to work. Like who wants to take a sabbatical like for two months and then come back? Like that's just not going to happen. Right. I think. Right. But, right. Yeah. It's a logistical thing too. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so then you can, you know, use some of that time to nap while somebody else has the, the kid during the day. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I was also just going to put a shout out for going to bed really, really early. Cause that quality sleep in the, usually that's your baby's longest stretch as you, Probably. I mean, maybe not, but I would have no shame in like going to bed at 830 <laughs> when the baby goes to sleep for that long stretch. Cause then if the baby like miraculously sleeps till 1230, like you've already gotten four hours, like how bad can the rest of the night possibly be? Um, I recognize that takes away from like time with spouse, but during those, that, you know, that early period when the baby's like six to 12 weeks old, I'm willing to let other things go in order to sleep. Otherwise I'll turn into a psycho. <laughs> basically. And, and, I mean, obviously, once you go back to work, this this has the issues of then you're tired and you have to perform at work <laughs> during the day. But, you know, definitely weekends, you know, asking your, your spouse or family to help with the other kids and the baby so you can sleep some on the weekends is, is key as well. Yes. Definitely. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful. We'll see how Sarah deals with us in a couple months. Yeah. Know. I'll have much more firsthand experience. I'll have to re listen <laughs> to this myself. Oh, yes, <laughs> now. It's a, a memory. <laughs> It'll be exactly. back. All right. Well, this has been Best of Both Worlds, episode 13, uh, where we're talking on about the joys and fun of parenthood haha, when you have toddlers and how to have more fun in your life. But we'll be back next week. So please tune in then. 
Thanks for listening. You can find me, Sarah, at theshoebox.com or at the underscore shoebox on Instagram. And you can find me, Laura, at lauravandercam.com. This has been the Best of Both Worlds podcast. Please join us next time for more on making work and life work together. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.